Hey, everybody, it's Preston here. Hey, guys, it's Clay. Before the show starts today, we want to tell you really quickly about this very cool challenge that we have coming up for listeners of Freelance to Founder. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Something we've never done before. Never done it, but man, I feel like there's a huge need for it because we get on these calls with people and one of the most common things we hear from freelancers is how do I build in recurring revenue? How do I get predictable money every month, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's a big question that we always, uh, I always get. I know you always get. That's right. And so Clay, you guys know from listening to the show, Clay ran an agency that that crushed it on recurring revenue. I've built a couple of recurring revenue businesses myself, and we want to help you kickstart your own recurring revenue. 2021 is going to be your year for recurring revenue. So we're launching a five-day challenge where you can set up your first productized service. Yeah, and that's going to be five days that we're going to show you how to do it, going to give you a little bit of homework, and hopefully at the end of the five days, you'll have a plan to make uh, hopefully thousands of dollars in monthly recurring revenue. For example, in this challenge, we're going to teach you how to price your service product so that it makes sense to your clients and you can start making money fast. And we are actually going to show you how to make an irresistible monthly offer that your clients cannot resist. There'll be live calls with me and Clay. We're, We're super excited to connect with some of you who maybe are too shy to come on the show and have us highlight your business. These are private live calls with a small group. In fact, we're only letting in like 25 or so freelancers right now. So, I mean, to give you an idea, there are 10,000 people that are going to listen to this episode alone that you're listening to right now. So you don't want to wait. If you want to sign up, you can visit freelancetofounder.com slash challenge and claim your spot right now. All right, guys, we're serious about this. Please don't procrastinate. You will regret it. And like, you want to be a part of the first 25 OG original members of this five-day challenge (laughs) because it's going to be the first 25 that are going to be so ahead of the game. Listeners of Freelance to Founder can save 30% on this challenge with promo code podcast. So again, visit freelancetofounder.com slash challenge. Enter the promo code podcast when you sign up and you'll save 30% right away. They're going to go fast, you guys. Don't wait. (laughs) So many freelancers want to figure this recurring revenue thing out. And genuinely, we just hope you're one of them and that you'll join us for this fun challenge. Uh, Thanks so much for indulging us. And now on to this week's episode of Freelance to Founder. Hey everyone, I'm Preston Lee. And I'm Clay Mosley. And this is Freelance to Founder. Every week, we sit down with freelancers like you for actionable coaching calls with one mission. To help you ditch the feast-famine lifestyle. And build your own sustainable business. At one point, we were both brand new freelancers, barely making ends meet. But by now, we've started, grown, and even sold a few businesses of our own. And we want to help you do the same. If you're ready to go from freelance to founder, then join the army of freelancers who are taking matters into their own hands. Visit freelancetofounder.com to apply for your own on-air coaching call. And now, get ready to take some notes because an all-new episode of Freelance to Founder starts right now. On today's episode, we have a great coaching call with Andrea, who's growing her agency, helping companies get the most out of the popular marketing software, HubSpot. Andrea has done a great job hiring contractors to help grow her business in the past. And just a month before this conversation, she even hired her first full-time employee. It's a big deal. It's also led Andrea to start wondering what exactly she needs to be doing as a manager or a leader, which launches us into a great conversation about entrepreneurship versus leadership. We'll get started right after this quick message from our sponsors. 
Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of Freelance to Founder. Uh, we're joined today by our friend Andrea. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And as always, of course, my friend Clay here from GetDripify.com joining us on the call. Hey, Clay. Hey, uh, you know I always love being here. Of course, man. It's like the best part of my week to have to be on a call <laughs> with you and a uh, new friend every week. Also, Andrea, tell us a little bit about your business. Kick off the episode by telling us, uh, you know, what you're working on. Sure. So I am the founder of a company called Horseshoe & Co. And we are a HubSpot consulting company. So what we do is help businesses to really harness the power of the tool called HubSpot to drive their marketing and sales strategy. Perfect. And and for those of us, I mean, probably most people listening know, but there might be a few people listening who don't know what HubSpot is. Can you give us like a 30 second version of what, what HubSpot actually does for people? Sure. It began as primarily a CRM, but it's grown into much more of a robust sales, marketing, customer service tool. Um, so really what its core is marketing automation and um, the ability to sync your systems and processes, um, again, across sales, marketing, customer service. Cool. Perfect. And so so you guys, uh, your company helps other companies navigate their way through the many features of HubSpot uh, and, and set up systems and processes and campaigns, I, I presume, that, that help them increase their revenue. Is that, I mean, am I guessing right on that? Exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. And how long have you been doing that? Six years. The business has evolved a little bit since then um, to focus more on HubSpot only in the last two or three years. But what began as an inbound marketing agency was about, yeah, six years ago. Okay. So inbound marketing and, and sort of general marketing. And were you a freelancer then, just just yourself? I was, yes. And it wasn't really until last month that I hired my first full-time employee. I've primarily just worked wow. with contractors. Congratulations. Yeah. That's oh, a that's big awesome. deal. Yeah. I, I mean, you said we, so I, I presumed there was more to the picture. So you've worked with, with contractors for a while. How, I mean, how long have you been working with like a team? I mean, yeah, not full-time, but or not, I guess, like a W-2 employee, but how long have you been working with other people on this? Very early on is when I started leaning on contractors. I didn't go about it the right way, <laughs> um, but when I was operating as more of an inbound marketing agency, of course, I couldn't fulfill all of those services mm. myself. So I did start working with writers and graphic designers uh, very early on. So within that first year, for sure. Oh, wow. Okay, great. And then you made your first full-time hire... Uh, just a couple of months ago, things must be going well this year. Yeah. Um, it, it's definitely, my business is growing each year and I finally kind of bit the bullet to hire my first employee. Um, and I've felt very relieved since then, but also <laughs> slightly anxious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's usually the, the two feelings that people get 
uh, when they first hire. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, no one really prepares you for that's, that. Uh, it's pretty common. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's do that for our listeners uh, right now. I mean, I think what I'd like to actually dive into for for just a couple minutes here before we really go into some of the hurdles that you're facing right now with your business. I want to I want to rewind to when you hired your first contractors. Um, and, and you said you didn't do it quite right in the beginning. Like if there's any learnings we could pass along to listeners there, I'd love to share that. And then also, you know, you said no one prepares you to make your first hire. What, what advice could we give listeners who, because we, I mean, we talk about this all the time on the show that like you can't scale by yourself. You can only get so far by yourself. Part of scaling your business is hiring talented people who can help you move your business forward. So I guess like what what advice do you have for people first in hiring contractors and then in hiring their first employee? Sure. Um, I would say the biggest mistakes I made when hiring contractors was solely shopping and selecting based on price or cost um, mm. because I was undercharging my services. My margins were extremely thin and I needed to of course, find contractors that were charging less than I was in order to make money on it, um, which, you know, you kind of get what you pay for, right? right. Um, so I would say I wasted a lot of mm -hmm. time with contractors that weren't necessarily the best fit, but they were affordable. So that in turn, you know, results in not the greatest work, but also uses a lot of used a lot of my time to manage and coach and train and sometimes redo a lot of the work that they were doing. So uh, there was a lot of high turnover too, in terms of the contractors that I was using. So I was spending a lot of time starting all over again, finding a new set of contractors mm. that I felt I could trust. Um, so those were some of the biggest mistakes I would say I made in terms of mm. sourcing and uh, working with contractors. How long do you think it took you to kind of realize that? Years, for sure. <laughs> Honestly, I would say it wasn't until maybe two years ago that I really decided I need to start charging more for my services, um, which means I can probably or should be able to afford better quality contractors. Um, and I, I don't really know what that pivotal moment might have been, but it was definitely much more recent than I wish. I wish I had made that realization six years ago, but um, yeah. And in terms of hiring an employee, um, yes, it, it was difficult to to make that decision for sure, but I think the biggest hurdle is um, learning that skill of, you know, becoming a manager, not when you're operating on your own, you only manage yourself, right? And even if you are working with contractors, you're not really expected to build culture with them and, um, you know, help develop their skills and things like that. And then all of a sudden, when you are a leader and you have an employee, those are skills that you need to all of a sudden possess mm. and not necessarily ones like you're very focused or I felt very focused on, okay, I just need to hire the right person. I need to get every, everything set up in terms of hiring, but I completely missed that step of, wait, how do I become a leader? I, I, I consider myself to be a good leader, but I don't know how to manage anybody. So I, I think that's been the biggest hurdle, not just from a financial standpoint, but making that jump from managing myself to managing someone else as well. 
I find it really interesting that you say that that's the difference between contractors and employees because I actually, so listeners of the show know that I run my business completely with contractors, but I I do treat them more like full-time employees, I guess. We, you know, we call each other, we're, we're like, we're a team. We refer to ourselves as the team. We, I, I send my customers and clients to them and say, this is Adam. He's the blog manager or whatever. Like, um, we act as if we're all working full-time on a team together and yet they're contractors they have other clients they have other projects that they work on I do feel like we've developed somewhat of a culture we probably could do better at that um but but I'm interested I'm interested to hear like why you feel all of a sudden that this leadership uh role has now come upon you with a full-time employee when it and it wasn't there with contractors like what's the what's the major difference there for you that's a good question. I think part of it falls on my shoulders. You know, I didn't really invest the time into building culture with these contractors, which is mm. partly the reason why there was such high turnover, you know, because they were maybe getting that environment with their other clients. Um, so I didn't spend the time, you know, having like daily check-ins with them or even like integrating them a little bit more into the company in terms of, you know, putting them on like the about us page on the website or mm, yeah. getting them a, a company domain email address. I didn't spend the time to do that. Um, I guess I think probably because I was just naive, you know, I, I had no idea. And I think um, there was a very clear divide in terms of the contractors that I work with typically had their own businesses too. You know, they've got their own established website and they've got their own yeah, set of clients. So one. I never felt it was fair for me to say, oh, well, I'd like to meet with you every day or once a week for an hour and I'm going to use up more of your time, um, you know, building that relationship together and getting you integrated into the company. And I didn't really start doing that until you know, a year or two ago, which is what led me to hire a full-time employee. Cause you know, prior to that, I was like, you've got your own thing going. I'll, I'll let you, you do you and uh, I'll do me over here. And hopefully we can meet somewhere in the middle, but, but we just didn't yeah. really meet in the middle. I think that's valid. I mean, I think, I think that's a valid uh, mindset to have whenever you're thinking about contractors versus employees. Um, I mean, I get that way too. It's like the, like contractors, you know, they, yeah, they have their own businesses. And so it's really difficult to get them kind of like uh, invested in your own company, right? When they got their own company. And so I could totally see that. Um, I think that's the reason why, and, and Preston has more, obviously has more experience with contractors and how to manage contractors. But like, that's, that's the reason why I personally like default to having employees um, is just because I like to have that that kind of company culture. And I feel, I feel like I, I, I don't think this is necessarily true, but I feel like like that company culture cannot happen unless they are employees versus contractors. So See, I totally that's really get that. interesting because, and we've had this disagreement on the show before. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like my whole team is contractors always has been um, maybe because we've never been big enough to justify the expense of hiring full-time employees or, or maybe because, I don't know, I'm intentionally keeping that way. I'm not actually sure the reason. I think it just started out that way and has stayed that way. And I found really great people. And so maybe it's not fair to to judge my experience or compare my experience with contractors against the typical experience because it they do feel more like employees. They feel like members of the team. We have a culture between us. I mean, 
I think you got lucky. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I for think. sure. No, I mean absolutely. Like, couldn't ask for better. I don't even really Adam, think of them like as Adam is awesome. Adam yeah. is amazing. Yeah, they Adam and Bilal, who are the two who are the two guys that basically run the company with me. You know, we work with a few contractors here there, but they're basically the two that run it with me, and they're both incredible. Like they do better work than I do on most of our stuff. I'm. It's better if I stay out of it for most of most of the time. So. I think it does come down to just finding the right people, regardless of what their kind of legal status is with your company. You know, what's funny is, um, you know, in preparation for this podcast, I had to think about, you know, where I scale myself on the spectrum of freelance to founder. And it got me thinking that one of the biggest pieces of criteria or the missing puzzle piece that I felt was really going to help me inch that much closer to the founder end of the spectrum was hiring an employee. And I can't say that I've felt that satisfaction, you know, that of course, like I love my employee and she's awesome. Mm. Um, but I can't say that I felt like, okay, now I've officially made it. I've, I, I'm past the freelancer stage and I'm officially a founder. <laughs> so it's funny to, to look back and think like, well, this was my goal all along was to hire an employee to officially feel like I've really made it. But I still don't really feel that way. <laughs> That's really interesting. And why Why do you, I mean, do you have any sense as to why? Yeah, um, I, I think there's a, a few elements coming into play here. Um, one thing that I, I is, you know, maybe a little ego-based to say something like this, but I still feel a little bit irked when people refer to me as a freelancer or when, um, like people from high school may discover what I'm doing now and say like, oh, you're freelancing now. It it kind of bothers me. So, um, and, you know, even working with clients mm-hmm. when they... <laughs> like like when my friends ask how my little business is Yes. Going. Oh, exactly. that's great. <laughs> that. How's your little business? Oh, well, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> exactly. And it's anyway, sorry, keep going. Those types of statements and... Um, even when working with clients, you know, they'll introduce me to someone else internally or like another one of their vendors and say like, this is Andrea, she's our freelance HubSpot expert, or she's a contractor that we work with. And, you know, we'll have been working together for months and months and months. And I feel like every effort to, you know, break down these walls and get rid of the freelance facade that I've built by hiring an employee and getting set up with the right systems and tools, I can never seem to shake this freelancer <laughs> aura that I, I'm putting off. So, um, mm, you know, mm-hmm. I guess I would have thought that hiring an employee would kind of help alleviate that, but it hasn't. No one really, really recognized that. Mm. Let me tell you, let me tell you though, um, I, I 100% understand your mentality behind all of this. This is exactly... Totally. This is exactly how I felt when I first started out um, I, back in 2015. I was I was a freelancer. I was by myself, um, and 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 I hired my first uh, employee the very like a year later, and so I had that mentality of like, oh, I'm 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 just a lowly freelancer, right? Like that's like that's like uh, the mentality I had. So let me just tell you, um, like you you may you so you hire your employee what a month ago? Is that right? Yeah officially uh yeah. yep uh, officially uh so i i think this is what might happen to you because this is what happened to me is you hired your first employee so 
I think what's going to happen is like that mentality issue, it, it, it affects your confidence, right? And so it's like, uh, whether you, whether it's like you realize it or if it's just subconscious, right? Like it's, uh, it does affect like your confidence as far as, and it also, as far as the way you like present yourself, because to me, um, and this is not the same for everybody. I know like for Preston, it may not be the same or for somebody else might not be the same. But for me, if I'm, if I'm trying to like, uh, do like a, I'm in a sales meeting or trying to, trying to pitch something to a, a prospect and, and I'm trying to pitch it as a pitch as a freelancer versus, Hey, I have employees, right? There's, there's just like, for some reason, there's just like this confidence, like, yeah, I have an employee. Um, and so like that confidence will show, it will show through in your sales pitches and, and in the, and whenever you're talking to clients and things like that. And that's what happened for me. And sales just like skyrocketed. And I like, I didn't expect that to happen, but it just did. And I can't say that it was just that one factor, but I promise you like that, that thing, like that one particular thing did help for sure. It was kind of weird. You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane effective home workout. That's because Hydro pairs the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's gonna wanna take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code FREELANCE to save $400. Hydro.com, promo code FREELANCE, or just click the link in our show description. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people call in with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs, and did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. That's definitely uplifting. And, uh, <laughs> you know, if if that's all that I needed was just, even if it is just that internal confidence, you're right that that definitely plays a huge role in how you present yourself on sales calls, even if 
it doesn't come up, even if it's not a question that I'm asked. I hope I'm, I'm asked, but <laughs> even just for my own. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it sounds to me like this is maybe just a matter of time. Like it's still very early. Um, oh, for sure. The, the more you even just say we instead of I, the more you turn over certain things to your, your employee and you say, I'll have to check with so-and-so like those are the kinds of things that you can say that start to make your company feel more legit. And over time, I think that, yeah, that confidence will come that Clay's talking about and, and it'll, it'll come. It, it takes a minute, but it'll come. Yeah, for sure. I do want to make sure we touch on one thing that's related to this, that we, we chatted before we hit record, um, Andrea, and that is you mentioned like the, how, how to manage the difference between being an entrepreneur, someone who manages, manages and grows a business versus a leader, someone who manages people. Uh, what are, and, and you, you actually segued perfectly, <laughs> which is what I usually do uh, with the freelancer to founder scale. So we won't, we won't revisit that for too long here, but you did mention on your, your questionnaire that listeners are familiar with that you're currently a six and you'd like to be at a nine in six to 12 months. And so it feels like maybe one of the things that could help you get there is, is becoming more familiar with what it takes to be a leader as opposed to just an entrepreneur. So can you, can you open that up for us a little bit more? What, what does that exactly mean to you? Why are you concerned about this idea of, of, of leader versus entrepreneur? Yeah. Um, I think about prior to starting my business and the types of jobs that I have and the investment that my manager had to make into me and my skills and my well-being and mm. happiness at work and you know having like those quarterly reviews where you're asked those hard questions and um it wasn't until you know like the first week or two into hiring an employee that I was like do I have to now do this? Am I now that person that has to be checking in on this employee, not only in terms of like the work that they're working on, but also their happiness? And like, is employee engagement now something I need to know about? Do I need to be creating surveys? Like it was all of this whirlwind that kind of hit me after the <laughs> financial hurdle of like, okay, can I finally afford to hire a full-time employee Maybe. So let's try this. Um, and then it was, yeah, like this, this uh, wake up call that I was like, okay, so I now need to be that person that is, you know, a good manager. And again, relating it back to the different types of managers I had um, and thinking back to what I appreciated and respected in a manager do I have those skills? I don't really know. I've never had to demonstrate them. So that was kind of the the mm. wake up call that I was faced with immediately. So it sounds like the hurdle might be overwhelm, uh, feeling maybe not like you're up to the challenge quite yet, or 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 just not knowing if you are. Yeah, I think it's the the uncertainty, um, hmm. because I think as as great of a manager you think you are you never really know you you can do everything in your power to ask for feedback and make sure that you're providing the right tools and support that your employee needs but um there's always that uncertainty so i think that's definitely been a hurdle yeah clay what what are you hearing man um so <laughs> Let me just tell you, um, managing employees is something that, you know, I've, I've done it. I've done it for 
years. And at, at one point I had 22 people that I managed. Um, it, that's still something I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I will give you my take on that. Um, that uncertainty, just FYI, that that never goes away. <laughs> so I don't know if like you're looking for an answer there, but like for me, that never went away because yeah, you're right. Um, doesn't matter how many times you put out a survey or like you have a one-on-one conversation with uh, your employee. Um, it, there's always that thing where like it, as an employee, there's always something that they're, that's going to be in their head that they're not going to tell you, right? Like just because there's that fear of like, what if I say the wrong thing? Will I get fired? You know, like that kind of thing, right? Um, it, it, it's a, uh, from my experience, whenever you, like, if you just, if you have 10 employees or less, it's, I think it's easier to, to do it via like, just have one-on-one conversations, um, and be very transparent, uh, about things. Um, so I, I found that it's easier to do it that way. Uh, whenever you have less than 10, you know, you get up more than 10 employees, you have a lot more HR, um, issues that you have to deal with. Um, but the kind of my general rule is, uh, because like there's, there's always going to be that uncertainty, but that general rule for me is I always treat my employees the same way I would want to be treated as an employee. And so whatever that is for you, like, then that's, that's how I would do it. And so like, to me, that's the, if you could do that as best as you can, um, and try to like get you know, uh, feedback from them. But, you know, honestly, like, you're not going to get 100% feedback. But if you just do those two things, I think you'll be fine. Um, Because if you do things like that, you wish that you were treated as an employee, like, um, create a company culture that you like, you know, like, whether it's like flex, uh, uh, flexible schedule or time off or uh, perks, whatever that is, like, there's so many different variables there. Um, I, I would just do the same thing as if what you would want if you were an employee. Yeah, I'm trying to like rejog my memory because it's been, I guess, over six years now since I've been an employee. So I'm I've evolved so much since then. I'm, I'm trying to remember what yeah. it was like to be an employee. <laughs> well, imagine imagine if you were an employee of your own company. Like, how would you want to be treated? Right. So, like, I I wouldn't. I don't know if I would go and I I don't know the way I would. The way I wouldn't look at it is I wouldn't look at it as in like, I wish uh, my boss didn't do, did not do these things. I would look at it as in, I wish my boss did these things, right? And then just do those things. Um, so I think it's easier to think of it that way. Maybe not for you, but it is for me. No, that's helpful. And I think it's easier to remember things like that, you know, things that you wish a manager had brought to the table but didn't as opposed to what did i really enjoy about this manager just one thing that just hit my mind that i wish i had done way early on in my business so you you have the opportunity to do this okay so i wish i did it when i hired my first employee and did it from there on Uh, i don't think i implemented this system until i got to like 10 or 15 but if you are you familiar with the enneagram i am and i've just recently gotten into this i'm like addicted to 
taking all of these tests and seeing if it produces the same results. That's so interesting that you just brought this up because I was literally looking at it like last night, yesterday. Okay, so enlighten, enlighten the rest of us here, Clay. Yeah, so the Enneagram is basically just in a nutshell, a personality test. I mean, there's like, there's so many different person ma- personality tests that you can take out there. Like, there, I don't know how many there are. There's too many. But my favorite one is the Enneagram. Um, yeah, so like there's a book on this. There's all kinds of resources on this. But um, what we actually started doing uh, was for every new hire, we had them take the Enneagram test. And so that allowed us to figure out what kind of personality they had. And more specifically, it allowed us to determine how our employees loved getting feedback, right? So what is their love language, right? Like, do they like getting gifts? Do they like getting um, uh, public praise? Uh, Like things like that. And so an example was I had one employee who, because like we, when we got up to like, 20 something people, like we had a weekly team meeting. Um, and so like I had one employee, I swear every single week, it's like negative Nancy on her face. Like she was just not happy for some reason. And I, you know, I was trying to figure it out. Like why, like, why isn't she happy? And so, uh, after we implemented this, uh, this, uh, Enneagram test and we had everybody take it, it turned out that her personality was, uh, she liked public praise. And so, you know what I did in the next team meeting? I I gave her praise in front of the entire team. And I swear, like she she started at the meeting with the same negative Nancy look. And then as soon as I gave that praise to her, like her, like she lit up, <laughs> lit up for the rest of the meeting. And I swear she was in a good mood for the rest of the week. And so it's just interesting, like, but like other people. There, I had another employee who does not like public praise, does not like being in the spotlight, but she loves gifts. And so what I would do is I would like give her like give her like a pair of movie tickets for her and a husband or something like that. Like she loved that. And so if you if you cater to like um, uh, what each employee's personality is and you like you reward them according to what they like, uh, according to the Enneagram, then. I think that's going to that's going to be tremendous for you. I wish I wish 100% I did that from the beginning. That would have saved me a lot of headache. Yes, I love that you've brought this up and I started last night reviewing uh or looking for blogs on like how to manage based on enneagram types, you know, if you have an employee that's this type, what should you be doing to, you know, meet them in the middle and cater to their feedback, preferences and stuff like that. So I love that you brought that up. I think what's great too is you let's let's remember you only have one employee, right? So these like you can start all of this and it can be very simple. I think it can be tempting to look back at maybe other jobs that you've had and think like I have to send out surveys and I have to do all these in-depth things that you, that you might have to do with a 20 person or a 100 person or 500 person mm-hmm. business, but you have one employee. So like you can you could you could potentially have her take the test and you and you could take the test you just like compare and talk i mean it doesn't have to be like this huge hr system to make it work like you you can literally just have conversations together to learn more about how each other works and then obviously as you grow you may have to implement more systems to to make that happen smoothly but right now like having one employee that's just that's just fun you two can just become good friends 
talk through what you like about business, what you don't like, you know, what perks she might like or, or praise how she might like to receive praise. It's, I think it's a good place to be in. Yeah. Yeah. That's a super fun time. (laughs) And I'm glad that I'm being mindful of what I need to do and what skills I need to build before I've got 10 employees. And I'm like, Oh shoot, I'm a really bad manager. How do I (laughs) start over? Yeah. That just, that just uh, goes down to like, um, catering to the personalities and then just doing the things that you would do for yourself. Like, I don't know, like one thing for me, like you, you talk about surveys. Um, so like, let's just say, for example, I, I'm thinking about sending, like, I want feedback from my, my team. And then like, uh, uh, I think, okay, well maybe I should send out a survey. Um, and then I think, would I want that? Would I want to see that from my from my employee, or would I rather have a one on one conversation? Um, and and, and the, there's no right answer there, right? It's like there's like you could do surveys, but you could also do one on one conversation. Um, I do know I do know that some people um, this again this is all uncertainty uncertainty, uh, but some people like to be anonymous. You know, with, with you having one employee, this is easy, right? Because like, you can't be anonymous, but um, as you grow, th- these are just things you have to think about um, because some people just want to be anonymous. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, uncertainty is just going to be a feeling you're going to have to get used to and just like honestly just do the best that you can. I don't know how m- much uh, advice there I can give you as far as uh, having employees. I don't know. Maybe Preston has something else. I think I did okay, though. I, <laughs> I think you've done great, Clay. I think this has I, actually been a really enlightening conversation. Um, Andrea, is there anything in, in terms of that entrepreneurship versus leadership issue that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure we cover? No, I think it was really interesting to get the perspective from both of you, which operate completely different structures in terms of resourcing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so interesting to hear how both can be successful, you know, whether you rely 100% on contractors, um, or you go mm-hmm. the employee route. So it's it's good to know that even if after hiring a couple employees, we decide that the rest of the company should be um, built on with contractors, then there's that option too, to do a hybrid model. So I think I, I'm good on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There is. Yeah. I mean, all this stuff that Clay's talking about, like I haven't done the the personality tests or anything like that with my team, but I have, you know, remote sit downs with my team all the time and just say like, do you feel like you're getting paid a fair amount? You know, do you feel like you have too much work, not enough work? How do you feel about the kind of work you're doing? Like, I really, really want to make sure that they're happy, particularly because they're contractors also. It's easier for them to leave. Like, that's, that is truthfully a, even a little bit more of a risk than hiring an employee. They they could very easily just find another client to replace the the money that I pay them every month. And then, you know, I'd be I'd be out of luck. So I, I, I try to work really hard to make sure that they're happy as well. I treat them, like I said, I treat them like employees. And I think maybe that's the secret to that and that they're just amazing, but that's the secret to, to keeping contractors long-term. Yeah. Can I, can I say something? So on, on the employee part, so let me just tell you, um, just my track record. So over, I had the agency before I sold it, I had it for four years. I only had one person quit in the whole four years, which is, if you just look at the, uh, just the industry as a whole, like turnover in the marketing world is just insane. It's super high. Yeah, totally. Uh, in the agency world. 
and I only had one person quit. And I swear, this is like the reason why is, and I, and I didn't mention this before. So I already mentioned the Enneagrams. I mentioned treating your employees like you would yourself. Right. So those, those are like, those are uh, things that you can do for, for the team that you, you have on that for all the hires that you already have on your team. Right. But I swear where it starts is like the hiring process. And we were super picky. We were super picky on who we hired. And so we, uh, we hired slow. Um, we interviewed a lot of people. We hired slow. We didn't do, um, we didn't, we didn't do any fast hires. Uh, we did, we did do fast hires a couple of times. And let me tell you those two times we ended up firing them in the first three months, um, because they didn't work out. And that was on our part because, uh, we didn't, we didn't take our time to, to make sure that they were going to be a good fit. So I would say like, um, I know you already have one, but as you grow, this is just good to know. I would take your time hiring the right person and make sure that they actually fit. They will fit your culture. And so, for example, if you have a culture that's more remote, um, where they kind of they can kind of work whenever, wherever, like you need to make sure that they can work independently. They don't have to be micromanaged. They don't have to be given a task list like a daily task list. Um, so it, it has, you have to look at those things on whether or not they're going to fit the culture. But two. Um, do they also, and this is something that I, I would say most businesses overlook, is you have to look at, do they match up with your vision with, with the company? Because if, if, you're, if your vision with the company is, is A, but after interviewing the employee or the potential employee, and they have a totally different philosophy just in general, it's probably not a good idea to hire that person. And so like I've made that mistake a couple of times too and and it's just not going to work out honestly cuz they will not have passion in what they do and so therefore the work is just going to be mediocre. So I swear it all starts with hiring the right people and then managing the people is easy at that point in my opinion. And so um yeah, I'll say that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> and I think maybe that leads us into we've got we've got maybe 10 minutes left on this call. I think that leads us nicely into another thing that you had mentioned you wanted to chat about on this call Andrea and that is um like finding the right business model to make it in the long term, you know, figuring out what that model looks like. That has a lot to do with your vision for the company and the future of the company and if if you set up one vision and one business model and your employees see it a completely different way, uh, that may not be the right fit for that particular employee. So let's chat, let's chat a little bit about, uh, help us understand, I guess, what, what hurdles you're facing in terms of finding the right business model for long-term success. Sure. And maybe I'm not using the term business model in the right context, but basically what I'm referring to is... I've flip-flopped several times, like multiple times a year between how I quote and bill for projects. So I started off with retainers and then I decided to move to hourly billing and then back to retainers and then into Hmm. like flat project quotes. And I've tried different variations of these models um, and I'm still reiterating and I find like, I, I feel like I can never really find that scalable model, you know, that doesn't um, result in like a ton of scope creep. 
Um, and I don't even know if this is normal. Maybe this is just what businesses do. They kind of reiterate their processes and quoting and um, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, often. I think that that for sure is true with how lo- how young your business is and especially how how new you are to like having a team and that kind of thing. I think that for sure will happen. But walk us through walk us through why. Uh, I mean, so you know, an hourly setup doesn't work. So you change, but, but, but unpack that phrase doesn't work. Like what wasn't working? What has caused you to flip flop so many times? I think it's, um, how do I put this lightly? It's, it's things that have come up in client projects that have almost been like red flags, you know? So let's say very early on when I started with retainers, I would get a ton of scope creep because the client would say like, Oh, can you also do this? And maybe you can also do that while you're Mm. in there. And, uh, so I thought, okay, this model isn't working because I'm, I'm losing a ton of money because I'm allowing clients to, uh, you know, go out of the scope. Um, so then I moved probably to hourly billing and I think, why that initially didn't work was because clients, I I think were often like, well, can we not just pay like a flat rate for this rather than hourly? And so little things like that have caused me to pivot almost, you know, like every couple of months. Um, I would say I, I usually abandon the retainer model. Um, once I get a lot of scope creep requests, Um, I think client turnover has also caused me to reassess my business model a couple of times. You know, if I'm billing hourly, there's really no commitment that ties us together. Um, so I've just never felt that I've been able to sit with one particular model, um, for, yeah. for any longer than a couple of months, really. Well, I know, uh, Andrea, that you've listened to a lot of episodes of this podcast. And so we won't we won't rehash uh, a ton of the things that we usually say, which is, you know, I guess to sum it up, like we, Clay and I both believe in the power of recurring revenue, retainer revenue, like knowing yep. what, what you're going to make next month. You've probably heard us talk about that quite a bit on other calls we've had. So... Um, so I would say any advice we're going to give you is probably going to point you in that direction as opposed to billing by the project or billing by the hour. We're going to say no, a retainer or recurring works for me. It sounds like the real issue is what to do when, uh, scope creep happens under a retainer model or, or a flat monthly fee model. I mean, would that, do you think that would help solve part of the issue? If we could walk you through maybe some options of what to do when scope creep comes along with a client who's paying you a flat monthly fee? Would that help at all? Yeah, I think so. Um, One of the options I've been toying with lately is kind of this idea around value-based pricing. Um, I came across a a Mm -hmm. podcast where Jonathan Stark was interviewed and he is a master, I guess, on value-based pricing. And he really just opened my eyes to this concept. So it's the flavor of the month, I guess, if you will. So it's um, kind of the the model that I'm pursuing right now. But that's not to say that I don't, I'm not kind of constantly looking over the fence at what other options are out there. Um, so I think I, I'm, I'm, I've settled with this particular model, at least for right now. But 
the hurdle within or the roadblock within that is, you know, the amount of time that it takes to create proposals and to actually quote and price the project. So maybe if you've got any advice around there, since it sounds like both of you kind of rely on oh, this retaining <laughs> or retainer or project-based um, <laughs> model. Yeah, we for sure have some advice. I'll start and then I know Clay has a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, drafting up custom proposals is a huge time suck. Like you you could hire multiple full-time employees to draft up custom proposals of which only 10 or 20% of them get accepted. In, in my opinion, like the amount of time you spend on a custom proposal, you could spend instead on on productizing, developing a productized service, meaning... Yes, it's still based on the value, like your pricing is still based on the value that you give your clients, but you determine ahead of time what that value is. So every month we will offer this value to you and it costs $1,000 a month or whatever your price is, right? And so, and then it's like a take it or leave it kind of situation. And then you're not drafting up proposals every month, but you're still offering value-based pricing where you can charge a little bit more. Um, then you would be able to like on an hourly or by project basis because you understand the value that you're actually driving to your client's business. That's how I would recommend that you do it. Um, Clay, what what thoughts do you have, man? Yeah, um, I have a few things. I 100% agree with Preston there. And and uh, so uh, first of all, I want to say 100% starting today, I would get away from hourly. Um, that's just like it's finite how much you can scale there. Yeah. Um, so I just want to make that point, but, um, I, I 100% agree with Preston is productizing your, your services. So basically you take a service, um, and you just package it up and it, and it says it includes this, 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 and this, um, but you can create like three different options, right? So three different levels or whatever that, that, that could, if you, if you just take those three packages, um, and it's very clear what they include, then, what what needs to happen is that needs to cover you know ninety percent of your ideal client's um, request, and that way you can charge like a flat monthly fee without having to charge hourly and keep track of hours and blah 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 like, and and Preston's right, like coming up with like custom proposals like that's such a waste of time in my opinion. I used to do that and I spent like I don't know ten twenty hours a week just just putting together custom proposals because what I read uh, from other websites was like, Oh yeah, you got to put together this like proposal. It looks like a million dollars and that's what's going to get yeah. you business. And like, and then, so that's what I did. And I spent a ton of time on it and it, I realized it was like, this is like, this is not how I make money. I don't make money creating proposals. I make money by actually selling and doing the projects. And so I, once I got rid of that, I productized my services into different packages and I, I actually, this is a debatable thing. I actually put it up on my website and I said, okay, here's here. If somebody, if I'm, if I'm talking to somebody who's interested in my, my, let's just say website design services, then I'm like, okay, here's the page. Um, it, it shows you everything that's included and it has all the prices. Um, and so by doing that, when someone says, oh, can you send me a proposal? I'm like, no worries. Like all you gotta do is go to this link. It has everything there. And then so like that 100% I, I would do. 
a couple of other things too I would do that's going to solve your problems that I wish I had done way early on is um, you need to, this starts at the beginning. You need to pre-qualify your people. I would, I would not take on just anybody. Now, let me say the asterisk to this. If you are just, if you are new, just starting out uh, and I'm just talking to everybody, all the listeners, um, you just take whatever job you can get just because you need revenue. But if you're doing okay, like Andrea then, is. Andrea is yeah, at the stage Andrea, where yeah, yeah, you can start qualifying your leads. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you have an employee, so I know you got some cash flow. So I would 100% pre-qualify people right from the get-go. And so uh, a perfect example of this is that one of, the, one of the things that I offer still to this day is I offer uh, website design packages, right? So my first package is just a regular type uh, brochure type website. Um, and then I have another package that's like uh, kind of an upgrade if you want to have a membership level or a membership site. And then an upgrade after that is like if you want a full on learning management system where you want to sell digital courses and things like that, then I have a package for that package for that. But one of the things that is included with every single one of these uh, packages is I include unlimited content update requests and I don't charge hourly for those requests. And so. Uh, this was a big, big uh, thing that I got a bunch of pushback from industry colleagues. They said, everybody told me I was nuts for doing this. And my thing is, is that, well, I want to remove the friction from, from someone who is not a client to become a client. And so that I know for a fact that that's one of the things that, that, uh, puts into the friction of, of that is like a lot of clients are like, well, what happens after I, I launch my website? Like, will it take three weeks to make an update? Um, how much will it cost to make an update? Blah, blah, blah. So like I got rid of that and I said, you get unlimited content updates and it's all done within one business day. And so my colleagues thought I was, I was nuts for doing that, but you know what? I, it all goes back to pre-qualifying. And so when I'm talking to a prospect, if it, and I ask a lot of questions and I'm like, well, what kind of updates do you need to make after the site's launch? Like, you know, how often do you think you'll need to change it and things like that? If they say a lot, like, for example, e-commerce, I don't take on an e-commerce client because uh, like they don't fit this model. And so because I know e-commerce is going to request a ton of changes, which I will lose money. And so it all goes down to pre-qualifying uh, those clients that you know will be ideal for these packages. And so that will help you with, uh, uh, what'd you call it? Scope? Uh, yeah, what scope was the... creep. Scope creep. Yeah, that will help you with scope creep. Uh, one other thing too that will help you with scope creep is as soon, so let's just say you pre-qualify them. They, 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 they're ideal. They're going to fit your, your, one of your product packages, right? Um, is to, set those expectations right at the beginning before you even start the project. And so if you let them know your expectations, right? Like here is what you get and with this package uh, and be very, very clear, uh, then that's going to help. And then one last thing is uh, you need to train your clients that that is not okay to do scope creep. And so like that, that's, you just got to hold your ground there. And so what happens whenever, whenever somebody's saying, oh, hey, can you do this? Um, but also, you know, can you do like, can you go ahead and like 
add it like for for example me like uh unlimited content updates I, like that's just changing wording changing a photo or things like that something like something two minutes like it's nothing but sometimes i get a client that says hey do you while you, while you're in there changing my my uh my hours of operation which is like a 30 second change right they might say oh uh what do you think can you go ahead and add in like a shopping cart um because i'm thinking about selling a couple of items a swag or whatever then that's where you got to hold your ground and be like well this plan doesn't include that. However, I have this other plan that is an upgrade, an upgraded package uh, from what you have, and it does include that. Would you like to upgrade? And so, to me, the scope creep is a is a potential upgrade sales opportunity. So, I think if you do all of those things, your life is going to be substantially better. What's resonating, Andrea? Where where are That's we at? That's super helpful. That was a lot of information, you know, in terms of like how. We <laughs> yeah, here. sorry, I, didn't, I don't. Hope I didn't. No, overwhelm not you. at all. And I think the fact that we are kind of reiterating our pricing structure all the time means that I'm familiar with this. Um, so constantly, I, I immediately I'm thinking like, okay, these current projects that I'm quoting right now, like how can I pivot to to avoid scope creep and to to set those expectations now? And for clients that I'm already working with, like, is it too late to do that? So this has been super helpful. Thank you. It's never too late to change up your stuff. Yeah. I'd like to add just one final thought on scope creep, and then we can wrap up the episode. But um, I I had I had a coworker who used to work at Disney uh, in, in like a production studio. And he would literally have someone come to him like the day before they needed it and say, we need five camels tomorrow for a shoot that we're doing. <laughs> and it's like five camels. Where am I going to find five camels last minute? And he, he would say, yes, I can do that. But that will mean I can't do this other thing that I'm in the middle of working on for you too. And, and it, to me, that has always served as a lesson. Like, like Clay is saying, you say, yes, I can do that. Here's, here's what that will require. Mm -hmm. You'll have to upgrade. We'll have to uh, not do this other thing because you've already, you know, cut into, to your scope. You know, we've already used up your scope this month or whatever. Like the answer in my mind is always yes, but yes, we can do it, but here's what it's going to take. And then it pushes the decision back on them. And it, it, it's not awkward because then you're not saying no, Right you're pushing the decision back on them. If they say, okay, great. Uh, I'll pay you an extra thousand bucks to do that. Then you can say, mm-hmm. okay, perfect. And you can go hire a contractor to help or whatever. There's always options, but, but pushing the decision back on them seems like a win for me every time I do it. I love, I love scope creep. Like when, when clients try to more money, something, <laughs> yes, it is 100. Okay. Let me tell you it, Like, so most people would see that as a negative thing, but I see it as, the easiest sales opportunity ever because they are literally requesting something that they don't currently pay for. They're already a client, which means they're, they're already dollar voting. Like they already are a big fan of yours. So it's super easy to upgrade. Like I love scope creep requests. That's funny that you look at it that way. Cause up until this point, I've looked at scope creep as the biggest headache, but I think it's because I've never quite you know, put that expectation into place yeah. where every out of scope request becomes, would you like an estimate for that? I've always just kind of said, oh, do I do it? Do I not do it? If I do it, then I'm kind of groveling. And if I don't do it, then I've disappointed them. So, but um, 
Yeah. I think. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I guess it's easier for me because I'm I'm more of like a I'm more of a like I guess Preston is too. Uh, we're like more salespeople. Like I, I love sales and I love sales psychology and why people buy what they buy. And so they, um, I I like to listen. I like to listen to my clients and see what are the common trends that they're requesting. Because then I'm like, okay, this particular request is super common among my clients. And so that right there is a product that I could package up and sell pretty easily. So yeah, if you look at it that way, uh, that it's a, it's a sales opportunity, 100%, you're going to love getting those scope creep requests. You're right. I, I should really embrace them and like encourage them almost, you know, <laughs> kind of say, well, you know, there are other opportunities. Did you want a list of those opportunities? Yeah, I mean, SaaS, SaaS companies do this all the time, right? You you buy like their fifteen dollar mm-hmm. a month plan, and then all the features you actually want are in their forty five dollar a month plan, and then there's even more features in their hundred dollar a month plan or whatever. And they constantly are saying like, "Did you want to do that extra thing? All it is is an extra thirty dollars a month," and they're constantly saying, "You can do it. You can totally do it. It just costs a little extra." So the yes, but. Yes, yeah, but, right? Yes, but. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, Andrea, I think this has been a really great conversation. Hopefully, it's been helpful to you. I know we got a little passionate and long-winded in a couple of moments, but hopefully it's been a good call for you. No, it has. Absolutely. I was really looking forward to picking your brains, and I feel I've done just that. Thank you so much. Oh, well, great. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you so much for taking the time to jump yeah, on the call. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you. Freelance to Founder is produced by the team at Millo. Visit millo.co to level up your freelancing. And Dripify, visit getdripify.com to become a bad A in business. Freelance to Founder is also part of the Podglomerate. You can check out more amazing podcasts at thepodglomerate.com. The theme music for this show was produced by Joaquin Carud. You can catch past episodes at freelancetofounder.com or by searching Freelance to Founder in your favorite podcast player. While you're at it, we'd love an honest review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now. Until next time. See ya. See ya.